0: Good morning again. We're going to do it again. Good morning again. Good morning. Oh, look at that. <laughs> this morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from that what others from what others experience. And God is faithful. God will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, God will show you a way out so that you can endure. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Thanks be to God. Today we begin a new worship series called fake news that is not in the Bible. Over the next four weeks, we will be looking at phrases that we often hear and say as Christians, phrases that sound like they're from the Bible. So like fake news, we share them, assuming that they're true, but not knowing whether they come from a reliable source, from scripture. In this series, we'll pause and take a look. Does the Bible actually say that? Today, we look at the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. Let's pray. O Lord, I pray that in these moments your spirit might be felt, your hope experienced, and the challenge of your good news declared. Calm our minds and open our ears that we may hear your voice speaking to us this morning. Amen. As believers, we know that we are to study the Bible and we are to obey it. But does the Bible say what we think it says? Sometimes our well meaning words can cause hurt to those who hear it, especially when we say that what we have said is scripturally based. So we must be mindful of what we say Scripture says, because it carries a lot of weight. The Bible, the Holy Scriptures, are God-breathed. It's the authoritative guide to Christian belief and action. But we know that the Bible isn't always as easy to understand as we would like it to be. It's a complex book with multiple layers of meaning filled with metaphors and, and parables. And when we read Scripture, we must do so in light of the context in which it was written. Who wrote it? Why were they writing it? And we also must keep in mind the, the Bible's broader message of the good news of hope and resurrection and redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. In February 2017, my husband Russ became head chef at a restaurant in Cleveland. Before then, he was self-employed so he could make his own schedule. and. He was able to pick up the kids from school and be home to make dinner in the evenings and put the kids to bed and do the homework. He was busy most weekends, but it really wasn't that bad. We were easily able to make it work. Then he got the restaurant job, and he started working restaurant hours. At the beginning, he was working seven days a week, 12 to 16-hour days, and I became a chef's widow. Apparently, that's actually a thing. And my partner in parenting was gone. I was working full time at the church and I was suddenly solo parenting it, picking up the kids from school, doing all the homework, making dinner, and I hadn't cooked in almost a decade. So, um, rice aroni saved us. <laughs> and I was putting the kids to bed along with all of the other things that I was doing. Needlessly to say, say, I was exhausted, and just when I thought I was getting the hang of this new schedule, I had to start working on the ordination projects and and papers, and then Joseph wanted to play basketball, and Corey decided she wanted to take dance classes. And one day, I remember sitting at my desk, completely overwhelmed by everything, and someone came in and, and looked and said, oh, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can handle." And I just looked at the person, and I said, Well, I really wish that God didn't have so much confidence in me. I knew that the person meant well. I knew they were trying to comfort and encourage me, but instead it just made me annoyed at God. The idea that God won't give us more than we can handle is one of those biblical truths that really is only about half true. People often cite this morning's scripture from 1 Corinthians as the source of this idea, and they misquote it, saying God won't give you more than you can handle. But listen again to what Paul actually writes here. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. God will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, God will show you a way out so that you can endure. As Adam Hamilton points out in his book half Truce, often people think that Paul is referring to God testing people with challenging situations. But when we look at the context of Paul's words, we can see that he really is talking about temptation— not trials and hardships. Paul's writing to the Christian community in Corinth where he founded a church during one of his missionary journeys. And this letter was to encourage and to guide them in living as Christians. Most of these new Christians in Corinth had been pagans until the the Corinthian church was founded. And so they were trying to follow Jesus, but they were struggling to leave behind the idol worship and the temple prostitutes that were such a large part of their old religious life. Understandably, some of them were sliding back into their former ways, and so Paul was writing here to encourage self-discipline in face of their temptations. And Paul reminds the Corinthians that they're not the only ones who have dealt with these types of challenges. In the verses leading up to today's scripture, Paul reminds them that when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they too gave in to idol worship and sexual immorality, and then they faced the adverse consequences of their actions. Verse 6 says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did referring to the Israelites. And then in verse 11, it says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Paul is telling them that their experience really wasn't that unique. Just as the Israelites were tempted, so too they would be tempted. And in fact, we will all be tempted at some point in our lives, probably multiple times during the day. The good news is that God won't allow us to be tempted beyond our abilities. God will always supply us with a way out so that we can endure the temptation. So this passage isn't about God not giving us more trials and difficulties in life than we can handle. It's about God helping us when we are tempted, giving us that way out. The problem, though, is that we might not be looking very hard for the exit. Have you ever tried to change the way you eat? Have you? No one has ever gone on a diet or changed anything? No, I find that hard to believe. If you have, you know that temptation is real. Last year, in January, Russ and I did the whole 30. So that means for 30 days, we committed to eating nothing but vegetables, fruits, meats, eggs, and nuts. No dairy, no sugar of any kind, no grains whatsoever, no beans, and no alcohol. The first few days weren't that bad because we kind of just sequestered ourselves in our house, and we just ate our food, and that was that. But then I had to go back to work, and I had to go into the church office, and the church office is filled with temptation. All of the holiday leftovers were taunting me constantly. But since Russ was doing the Whole30 also, it was a competition and I had to win. So I stuck with it. After a week though, I realized that it was actually much more than just about food. It was actually about sin. Since Russ had started his restaurant job, I had become lonely. I was around people all the time, but I was still lonely. I knew that God often uses times of discomfort to help us grow, but I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't have time for that. And so I used eating as a way to distract myself from what was going on inside my heart and my head, just snacking and watching a show at night. But doing the whole 30, I took away those unhealthy coping mechanisms and I was able to remove that barrier that I had unknowingly placed between me and God. And only then was I able to turn to God, to repent of my sin, saying, I am sorry that I did this. Please forgive me and then be made whole and complete with God again. Sin is really anything that distracts us from God, anything that keeps us from being fully whole and alive with God. It can come in many, many forms. Excessive eating, alcohol, sex, gambling, busyness, social media, anger, resentment. Many of these things, they're not actually bad in and of themselves, but they become problematic when They are used to distract us from God or as a numbing device. I wonder, what sin is keeping you from wholeness right now? We all experience the temptations of sin in our lives. Sometimes, to explain why we experience these temptations, we assume that God has given them to us to test us. And then to comfort ourselves, we say things like, God won't give me more than I can handle. But God does not tempt us. We do a pretty good job of that ourselves. In the book of James, scripture tells us God is not tempted by any form of evil. Nor does God tempt anyone. At some point in our lives, we will experience situations that are truly more than we can handle. And they really will not have anything to do with temptation. Because we will face adversity. We'll experience financial hardships. We, will, we or, or someone we love will face a terminal illness. We might struggle with debilitating depression or suicidal thoughts. But these things are not part of God's perfect plan for us. Yes, they are part of the human experience, but they are certainly not given to us by God. But God will walk with us through these things. In fact, God in the person of Jesus Christ has already walked through our shared human experience. He knew what it was like to to suffer to face rejection and betrayal and torture and death. And then Jesus' resurrection proclaims that evil and hate and pain and even death itself will not have the final word in our lives. This past week, I had an opportunity to help with story time at Vacation Bible School. And Friday's theme was about hope and we talked about the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The story takes place a few days after Jesus had died, and the disciples, they were Jesus's best friends, so they were sad and depressed because their best friend was gone, and they had heard stories that he wasn't in his tomb anymore, but that he had risen, but that was strange, and so they were just confused by it. So they're traveling along this road. They're sad, and they're depressed, and they're confused, and then this traveler joins them. And then the traveler, we learn later, is actually Jesus. But it takes the disciples an entire day of walking and talking together to actually see Jesus for who he was. And when they finally do recognize him, They realize that they don't have to be sad anymore because even though Jesus isn't with them physically, he's always there in our hearts. Just like those two disciples, we often get so consumed with our our sadness and our struggles and our temptations that we don't see Jesus standing right next to us. We don't see the way out that God has given us, the way of Jesus. God has given us that way out of our temptations and our hardships, and all we have to do is turn to God and say yes. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, throw all your anxiety onto God, because God cares about you. God cares about us and loves us so much that God does not want us to go through life alone. God desperately wants us to turn to the Spirit for strength and encouragement. Yes, horrible things will happen in our lives, but God doesn't want us, nor does God expect us to go through those things alone. And sometimes, we get so caught up in, oh, God doesn't love me, I'm not good enough yet, that we don't turn to God. We think we have to have it figured out before we turn to God. But this week <laughs> on Friday, one of the questions I asked um, was the kids was, well, what do you think God would tell you? And someone said, well, God will tell us that um, God loves us. And I said, well, who does God love? everybody. Well, everybody who? Everybody, everybody. I said, well, are you sure about that? And they said, uh, yeah. And then I said, well, what if you do like bad things? Will God still love you? Yes. And so we went back and forth and back and forth and they were extremely adamant that God loves us all the time, no matter what, everybody, everybody in the whole entire world. And then one little girl looked at me, and she says, shouldn't you know this? (laughs) I said, I do know this. I'm just testing you. But they're right. The kids get it. We are loved beyond measure by a God who does not want us to be alone but wants to be with us, desperately wants to be with us, next to us, helping us through anything that we experience. In fact, it's not God won't give you more than you can handle. It's that God will help you handle every single thing that you will ever be given. Glory to God. Amen.